0: The evening of the 2020 Iowa caucuses played out like a nightmare.
1: All of it coming after a caucus night that for
2: Democrats produced anger and embarrassment. I've never seen anything like it.
0: We were only a month away from everything shutting down in the face of a global pandemic. On February 3rd, 2020, I was in one of the fastest growing cities in the country. It's a town called Ankeny. That's a suburb just north of Des Moines.
3: Well, first of all, welcome
0: It was the culmination of months of Democrats campaigning here with millions of dollars spent. This precinct caucus here is just one of hundreds that were happening across the state in places like school gyms and church basements. I'm standing in the corner of this ballroom at the Marriott in Ankeny. There are 426 people here that are caucusing. Uh, the The term social distancing didn't really exist, and this place is packed. Caucuses are not like a primary election where you just show up and check a box. Democrats have to move around the room and show support for different candidates. You might come in wanting to support a certain person, but if they don't meet a 15% threshold, you have to choose a different politician. This is confusing, right? This was the first Democratic caucus I had covered, having seen a Republican one in 2016. There's a lot of action at this precinct, and everything went well. After it was over, I'll never forget it. I went to a Burger King to get one of those vegan hamburgers I'd seen Senator Cory Booker inhale a couple of between-campaign stops. Remember, he was running for a time. It seemed like a fitting meal to end my caucus coverage.
3: Well, it looks like it's gonna be a long night,
4: but I'm feeling good.
0: Or so I thought it was the end of my caucus coverage.
4: You probably heard we don't know the results.
0: I'm sitting in my old Honda CRV eating when an NPR editor texted me asking, what the hell is going on with the results in Iowa?
3: It is too close to call.
0: Results were supposed to start rolling in that evening. There was this smartphone app the Democratic National Committee had the state party use, meant to streamline the process, but it hadn't been tested. And the phone lines, meant to be a backup to record the results, were jammed. Remember, the race was still very crowded then, and the candidates were holding rallies across Des Moines, ready to drop balloons and claim momentum.
2: I imagine, at some point, the results will be announced. No. By the time it's all said and done, Iowa, you have shocked the nation.
0: In the middle of the night, the Iowa Democratic Party chair at the time, Troy Price, holds a press call. He reads a statement.
2: We have said all along, we have these backups in place for exactly this reason. We are
0: updating
4: campaigns and we will continue to provide updates as they are available.
0: He hangs up. Campaigns were pretty pissed off to say the least. Meanwhile, I went home to take a nap. There was still nothing when I woke up. All right, so it's 3:43 in the morning right now. Uh, I just got a call from Morning Edition, which is broadcasting live nationally from a coffee
3: house. We are here broadcasting live at Smoky Row Coffee House in Des Moines, Iowa. <laughs> there Hello.
0: they are. This was when Rachel Martin and David Green were still hosts of NPR's Morning Edition. They were already asking how much this might hurt Iowa.
2: You always hear these questions every four years, like, yeah. should Iowa really be first? Does it really reflect the country? Um, is Iowa at risk for for not being seen as first in the nation anymore and for people thinking this is a bad idea?
0: I don't see how it isn't after this. I mean, this was uh, dumping a lot of gasoline on already a smoldering fire here. I mean, you have- And now we've seen that fire burning for the last three years. Iowa has staked its place in political history with its caucuses, but national Democrats are done with it. Republicans are still coming to Iowa in the run-up to 2024, but this race? It's not like anything we've seen. The Iowa caucuses have led the presidential nominating process for the last half century.
4: So as I stand here tonight, breathing a big sigh of relief, thank you, Iowa!
0: Caucuses are not a primary election. They're run by the state Republican and Democratic parties. Caucuses are baked into the state's DNA. And so is the criticism from the rest of the country. They're arcane, confusing, inconclusive. If you don't live here, the outsized role Iowa plays in presidential politics is probably one of the only things you really know about the state. If you're not paying close attention, you might think of Iowa as a purple state. Well, it kind of was. It's not anymore. Since I've moved to Iowa, I don't think the candidates that I vote for have won in any of the elections. It's been on a march to the right for over the last decade. The Republican and Democratic national committees can choose their own calendars for which state goes first, but they've been in agreement for the last 50 years that Iowa is number one. Those days are gone. We're stuck in a spot now where Iowa will continue to be important on the Republican side. There's still a primary race taking place in the run-up to the 2024 Iowa caucuses, but a former president indicted for conspiring to overturn the 2020 election is seeking the nomination again, and he's the frontrunner. These are unprecedented times for the country. In this season of Caucusland, we're looking into why Iowa's politics have changed so much in recent years and why the Democrats are bailing on the state. Come along with us as we examine how important Iowa is in 2024 and how voters here may affect the outcome of the race. I'm Clay Masters from Iowa Public Radio News in collaboration with NPR's Midwest Newsroom. We're returning to Caucusland.
3: Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and
0: NPR. Check one, two, check, check. All right, so, Mr. Buttigieg, I'm just curious, first of all... To this day, the Associated Press has not named a winner of Iowa's 2020 Democratic caucuses. And don't ever expect them to. But when you look at the history books, it will show this guy, Pete Buttigieg, as the winner. Have you felt like an underdog going into today still?
2: Well, we're definitely keeping the underdog mentality all the way through caucus night, but uh, it's- I talked to him the morning of the Iowa caucuses at his hotel
0: in Des Moines. I can remember coming and seeing you in a house up in Johnston, Iowa in February a year ago. There's about six people in there. There was more press in the room than there <laughs> were uh, yep. people there to see you. Buttigieg had gone from an unknown mayor in Indiana to the surging star of the Iowa campaign trail in just a year. It's the Iowa story, right? From Jimmy Carter to Barack Obama, you could come to Iowa and make a name for yourself. I mean, repeating that story almost loses meaning. I've heard it so many times.
2: It's also really compelling to have one or two hundred in a county that uh, maybe has a few thousand people population total uh, voted for President Obama and then for Trump and is looking for somebody who can deliver a message of how they fit in the future. Early in his time in politics, Buttigieg showed skepticism about Iowa starting things off. So I ask if his opinion changed. It takes the presidential campaign out of this kind of abstract, uh, uh, over-the-air territory, and by the way, also out of the territory where money might make the biggest difference, and into people's living rooms, into people's backyards and, and middle school gyms. And when people have a chance to kick the tires on your idea uh, face-to-face with you, uh, to really look at you eye-to-eye and, and, and get a sense of who you are, not just uh, what, what your brand is or your images or your talking points are, that does something. Uh, it, it does something to you, and it, it makes you a better candidate. When I
0: listen back to this interview, I realize he pivots to the concerns that I would become very familiar with
2: in the years ahead. I still have concerns about making sure that we have a process that is inclusive, uh, that is diverse. I think it's why the role of not just states like Iowa and New Hampshire, but South Carolina and Nevada are so important. I think we need to constantly be looking at how to make sure this is the most inclusive process uh, possible, especially as we uh, look to build a politics that invites everybody in.
0: I want to be clear about something. I've talked to a lot of Iowa voters over the years from both major parties that don't like caucuses. Many express frustration that they just can't simply vote in a primary. Critics across the country also say the process just leaves too many people out. You have to show up on a cold winter night at a set time instead of just voting at your convenience in a primary. Again, I want to stress this. These are not a primary election. Democrats and Republicans have historically done them differently. And for the last 50 years, Democrats get together at a set time in community gathering spaces. People have to physically move around the room to show their support for different candidates. Then there's this confusing caucus math you may have heard of. For example, in 2020, Buttigieg received the most state delegate equivalents. But then you had Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders winning the popular vote, meaning more people showed up supporting Sanders, but had to choose somebody else when he was no longer viable. See? It's confusing. There's a lot of important party leaders in the DNC who don't like caucuses.
1: The former head of the DNC, Tom Perez, hated caucuses.
0: That's Scott Brennan. He chaired the Iowa Democratic Party a couple of times.
1: And so I knew going into 2022 that that it was going to be an uphill battle the whole way.
0: You'd be hard-pressed to find a Democrat in Iowa who fights harder for the caucuses than this guy. He also serves on the DNC's Rules and Bylaws Committee. This is a committee within a committee tasked with setting the calendar of early states. Remember, the parties choose these calendars separately, and Brennan often reminds his fellow members their calendar works in getting a Democrat elected.
1: Joe Biden didn't win Iowa. He got pummeled in New Hampshire, didn't do particularly well in Nevada, and he won South Carolina and became the nominee. That's how the process should work. You know, sometimes you get a Barack Obama who comes out of Iowa, and that carries him on. But if you recall, even in 08, Barack Obama won Iowa, and then Hillary Clinton won New Hampshire. And so the process works, and why would you change it?
0: There's this whole history of Democrats fighting over the calendar. I'll spare you the details. Just know the notes of it. The fight has to do with Iowa having a state law saying it must hold the first caucus, and New Hampshire having one that says they must hold the first primary. But after the dumpster fire that was the 2020 Iowa caucuses, this committee within a committee is hell-bent on changing the calendar up.
4: Ladies and gentlemen, if you can look in your goodie bags a little later.
0: That's Minyon Moore, one of the co-chairs of the Rules and Bylaws Committee. It's June 2022. States are auditioning before them in Washington, D.C. Moore is trying to get the members to stop looking at their gifts from New Hampshire.
4: You can see they get very excited about trinkets.
0: Delegations from 16 states in Puerto Rico are making their case to try and win them over. That includes the traditional early window states. Those are Iowa, New Hampshire, Nevada, and South Carolina. In the Midwest, there's newcomers Michigan, Minnesota, and Illinois. Maryland, New Jersey, Connecticut, and Delaware also make the case. So do Colorado, Georgia, Texas, Oklahoma, and Washington State. Out of all those states, Iowa has the most to lose.
4: Are they ready? Yes.
0: The Iowa delegation includes Scott Brennan, who we've met, as well as Ross Wilburn, the Iowa Democratic Party chair at this time. And Iowa House Minority Leader Jennifer Conferst is there too. This feels like a polite congressional hearing.
4: States will have 15 minutes to present followed by 20 minutes of questions from the members.
0: The committee had met for months, saying they wanted the early window to favor primaries over caucuses. They don't want to rely on tradition. They want states that will be competitive in a general election, and states with more diverse populations leading the pack. So there's a lot going against Iowa. While Iowa doesn't have any goodie bags, they're bringing their own kind of gift, an admission it's time to change the caucuses.
4: Now we recognize that the caucuses, have they been conducted since the 1970s, are no longer aligned with a vibrant and just 21st century democracy. Here's the party chair at the time, Ross Wilburn. In order to continue growing our party, we need to make changes. And although caucuses are mandated by state law, our state law, the statute is not explicitly prescriptive about how they're conducted or administered.
0: He goes on to say the Iowa Democratic Party will start letting caucus goers mail in their presidential preferences. You heard that right. That will fundamentally change the way Iowa Democrats hold their caucuses. Under their proposal, there's still an in-person gathering on a cold winter's night, but those attending are only going to talk about party business. Caucus participants will just mail in who they think should be the nominee. Sounds like mail-in voting, right? Well, there are a lot of raised eyebrows around the table.
4: And then Wilburn also tries to address the diversity component. One way to look at Iowa's urban diversity is to examine the demographics of its larger public school districts, uh, which paint a picture reflective of their communities. When taken individually, these districts uh, look a great deal more like America as a whole and reflect the future of Iowa.
0: He also points to the growing diversity in many of Iowa's rural small towns. Iowa's latest census data shows the state's diversity rate steadily increasing in the last 10 years. But the data also shows Iowa as a whole is 89.8% white. Now it's time to sell the notion that Iowa is still competitive. That goes to House Minority Leader Jennifer Confirst.
3: What I hear a lot is that maybe Iowans, Iowa Democrats are in the desert. And I keep saying, well, if that's true, I can still see the water because it's right there. 2018 is when we picked up six seats in the Iowa House. It's not that far away. And the Democratic Party is still organized, inspired, and enthused.
0: As time winds down, Brendan reiterates the point he's made so many times.
1: Starting this process in Iowa has resulted in our Democratic nominee winning the popular vote in the last four presidential elections. Why would we mess with success? And with that, I believe our time is up and we take questions. Thank you.
4: Thank you, Scott. And thank you so much for ending on time because I would hate to have to say, my friend, your time is up. <laughs>
0: Obviously, there's a lot of questions from the DNC members about how a mail-in caucus will work.
4: Does New Hampshire believe that just because you say it's a caucus, it is a caucus? Mm-hmm. <laughs> because if it looks like a primary, traditionally, the state of New Hampshire has said,
1: no, 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 you can't go first.
0: Scott Brennan responds to committee member Elaine Kmark.
1: We are focused on complying with our state law, which mandates that we are a caucus, and we believe that what we have proposed meets the requirements of Iowa Code Section 43.4.
3: I would just be curious to know about the, the percentage of your, your diverse community that actually participates in these caucuses and what that's going to look like as you're transitioning to whatever your final product is going to be, because those are the people that usually fall through the
0: cracks. That's Yvette Lewis. Iowa's Jennifer Conferst tries to address her concern.
3: It's our expectation that by expanding access to the caucuses, that will increase the diversity of people who can participate, since those are often the ones who are not reflected in the current process. It's part of our attempt to increase diversity.
0: After the presentation, I grab committee member Mo Alethe, one of the biggest critics of Iowa staying in the early window, and I ask him what he thinks. So I give them a lot of um A lot of credit for rethinking it, reimagining it, and coming up with a system that is different. Having said that, whenever there is something new, right, the devil's in the details. And it raises a lot of questions about the execution and what it really looks like and all the details. And I think the line of questioning today from some of my colleagues on the committee reflects that. All of the other states are making their best case about why they should go first, and none of them, not a one of them, mention Iowa. During the Iowa Democrats press conference, I point out to them the other early states are not trying to band together. I mean, you guys were talking about the four early states are representative of the country. New Hampshire and Nevada weren't saying that yesterday. Do you guys kind of feel like been left behind? Huh.
4: Um, it's their constitutional right to be wrong, right? Uh, and everybody's going to put their best foot forward. We are reminding folks, uh, we're not just talking about tradition for tradition's sake. We are talking about effectiveness. And the four early states with Iowa have been uh, a great barometer for how the country feels and it has been effective at getting candidates elected for president and that trickling down to other offices. But
0: at the end of the day, Iowa was alone. The committee decides to hold off on making a decision until after the midterm election. But that midterm, it's not going to be so great for Democrats in Iowa. I'm Clay Masters, and this is Caucusland. Support for IPR comes from Corridor Vein Center and Corridor Aesthetics. Treatment for varicose veins and spider veins. Also providing facial rejuvenation services and treatment for moderate to severe acne. More at Corridor vein and CorridorAesthetics.com. Across the country, Democrats are pleasantly surprised by the 2022 midterm results. The red wave many anticipated doesn't splash ashore. But that's not the case here in Iowa.
3: Aren't you glad?
4: in the freedom-loving state
0: of Iowa. Governor Kim Reynolds and Senator Chuck Grassley win re-election by double digits. The state's Democratic attorney general and treasurer, who both held their seats for decades, lose. Even the lone Democrat in the U.S. House is defeated and the state Senate gains a supermajority. There goes that whole competitive argument. A month later, President Joe Biden writes a letter to the DNC. This seals the deal many saw coming. Biden wants Iowa gone from the top spot.
3: South Carolina would go first, and then Nevada and New Hampshire would go closely after South Carolina, and then we would have Michigan and Georgia.
0: That's Drake University political science professor Rachel Payne Caulfield. She has over two decades of experience covering and working with campaigns from both parties during the caucuses.
3: For observers of this process, one of the frustrations of it is that the criteria have been unclear, the process has been unclear, and the decision-making has been unclear. Different states interpreted those criteria differently, then appeared to do absolutely nothing with the information for several months until Joe Biden stepped in and said, here's the plan that I would like.
0: Remember, in the 2020 Iowa caucuses, Biden came in fourth, and then New Hampshire, Fifth. It's not till South Carolina his campaign takes off. In this letter, the president also encourages the reordering process to be revisited every four years. Every four years. Payne Caulfield argues Iowa has a long track record of underdogs coming into the state and making a name for themselves.
3: 20 people in the room, he walked across campus, nobody even knew who he was.
0: Like in 2015 when Bernie Sanders gave Hillary Clinton a run for her money.
3: He built that campaign and over the course of the caucus cycle you could see his campaigns grow, energy, enthusiasm, excitement. Uh, And that's the sort of thing, right, that pushes back against the establishment wing of the party that holds establishment politicians to account within their own party. And that's a really important function of the nominating process. And, you know, I don't think that happens in the same way in large, media-heavy, expensive states.
0: Now it's February 2023. The full Democratic National Committee is meeting, and one of their agenda items is to remove Iowa from its coveted top spot.
4: You know, folks, I continue to be impressed by the level of commitment and the thoughtfulness that we've seen from this committee throughout this process.
0: DNC Chair Jamie Harrison.
4: The Democratic Party looks like America, and so does this proposal. As a South Carolinian, I'm, of course, grateful that President Biden and the Rules and Bylaws Committee chose South Carolina.
0: He speaks with pride when he talks about South Carolina going first.
4: Think about this. 40% of enslaved people came to this country, and they came through the Port of Charleston. There's a statistic that 90% of African Americans in this nation can trace one ancestor back to South Carolina.
0: After Harrison speaks, he opens it up to the other DNC members. Scott Brennan from Iowa takes the mic.
1: We can approve this calendar, but we will leave here with absolutely nothing settled. I say this not to attempt to bluster or imply any threat, but simply to acknowledge the facts. In 2007, the matter of The contest dates and order was not settled until the 11th hour. There is a limited amount of calendar real estate, conflicting state laws, and a GOP calendar that no longer bears any resemblance to ours.
0: Ray Buckley from New Hampshire has harsher words. Under the plan, they'll have to share a primary day with Nevada.
1: We are a battleground state where every election is close. New Hampshire
0: Democrats say they're going first no matter what.
1: The RBC knows full well that New Hampshire Democrats could not possibly unilaterally change state laws. They knew that the Republican leaders in the state would not bend their will.
0: Most on the DNC want change.
3: Here's a reality. No one state
0: should have a lock on going first. Now we have a process that says everybody gets opportunity to have their voice heard in this
4: process. If we're really a family, it means that some folk got to shift to make room at the table for others. We cannot say that black voters and Latino voters are important and matter and make us wait. We will move to a vote on the motion to approve the report of the Rules and Bylaws Committee. All those in favor of approving the report say aye. Aye. All opposed nay. The eyes have it, and the report on the Rules and Bylaws Committee has been adopted.
0: And just like that, the Democratic National Committee votes to move Iowa much farther down the line of states.
3: Joe Biden just pretty much crafted his ideal process to become the nominee again.
0: Here's Drake University's Rachel Payne Caulfield.
3: And you have to wonder if every year, right, the, the mix of people who make suggestions are going to get to set up a system that favors them.
0: Six months later, October 2023, Iowa Democrats are settling on a compromise with the DNC. They're going to hold their caucuses on the same day as Republicans, which is January 15th. But they will only hold the party business portion of the caucuses, not the part where they pick favorites for president. So people can still gather and discuss what they want the Iowa Democratic Party platform to include. But the caucuses as we know them for the Democrats, the thing Americans watched for decades, is over as we know it. Instead, they'll allow Iowa Democrats to mail in their presidential preference cards. They must be postmarked by March 5th, that's Super Tuesday, and that's when they'll release the results. Rita Hart is now the chair of the Iowa Democratic Party, and she says in four years, they're going to try again for an early spot.
2: We're pleased that we've gotten these reassurances from the DNC that the process will be open for 2028 when it really matters to us, right? We are concentrated now here in Iowa on reelecting President Biden and on getting more Democrats elected across the state.
0: At the same time, the DNC has deemed New Hampshire not compliant because they're not agreeing to move their primary from the front of the pack. And Republicans who control elections in Georgia say they're not going early. All of this leaves the National Democrats' calendar unsettled. But as far as Iowa is concerned, that fire that started burning after 2020 is now just embers. Iowa will no longer be number one. Next time on caucus land. In 2016, Iowa voters are paying attention to a candidate unlike any other.
3: I like that he's not a politician.
0: In many parts of Iowa, Donald Trump is getting the attention of many Iowans who have never caucused before.
2: A lot of those white identity appeals really, really coincide with rural identity appeals. And that it's not a surprise to probably anyone listening that people who are in more rural areas feel left behind.
0: We'll explain why Iowa has changed so much politically in the last decade. Caucusland is produced by me, Clay Masters, and John Pemble. Editorial support from Iowa Public Radio News Director Michael Leland and the NPR Midwest Newsroom's Chris Husted and Holly Edgel. Our music is composed by Garrett Schmid. Don't forget to rate and share the show. And if you want more history, there's also a whole first season of Caucusland from four years ago. You can find it all at IPR.org. Caucusland is a production of Iowa Public Radio
1: News.